Welcome to the Whitefields Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, including location and service times, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. If you are blessed by this message, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. We are in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and um, we're in our series called Equipped to Serve, looking at what has been known, has has become known as the pastoral epistles, Paul's writing to Timothy and to Titus, and we are in 1 Timothy. So if you've got your Bibles there, I'm just going to read for you our text this morning to get us into the context of what we're going to look at today. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil." Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well, For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Lord, we just thank you once again this morning for this text, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that the the, the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth might be acceptable to you this morning as your word goes out in power. And Lord, we just look to you who is our ultimate example of what a leader is, what a servant is, and how to be a part, Lord, of the kingdom of God. And so, Lord, we just give this to you, this time for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, recently I've been listening to a podcast called called Hardcore History by Dan Carlin. Some of you might be familiar with him and his discussions on the history of all kinds of different topics related to cultures and history and all kinds of things. And and I just finished a six-part series um, on the history of Japan called The Supernova in the East. It's a fascinating look at the cultural dynamics in Japan in the, in the decades, decades and centuries leading up to, to and then up and through World War II. Now, I must point out to you that uh, each episode is about five hours long, and some of them were even longer than that, than that. So not for the faint of heart, but I never thought I would ever listen to 30 hours of Japanese war history, but I actually loved it. 
And, but one of the phrases that Dan Carlin used over and over again to kind of sum up Japanese culture was that the Japanese were just like everyone else, but more so. Just like everyone else, but more so. Now, I'm not going to define for you what that meant today. You need to go and listen to 30 hours of Japanese history on your own and come tell me. But I was studying our text this morning, and that phrase, oops, my ear just went, that phrase kept uh, coming back to me over and over again, just like everyone else, but more so. Pastors, elders, deacons are just like everyone else, but more so. Just like everyone else, but more so. So what do I mean by that? Well, we can see that in the Bible that God holds those who are called to lead his people to a higher standard. In the Old Testament, unfortunately, uh, we do see many bad examples of poor leadership. Shepherds of God who continually led the people of God in it led them astray to worship idols, misrepresenting the true nature of God as revealed in his word, not teaching them God's statutes as laid out in the book of the law to the people. And if you were with us during our studies in First and, and Second Kings and also in, when we looked at all the minor prophets, you would see that, that God, through his appointed prophets, he pleaded over and over again with the kings and the priests to return to the true God and not to lead the people of God astray. And ultimately, if you saw there, they did not, they did not listen and Israel ended up taken into exile by the Babylonians. Now, so many times we see, almost all the time actually, God lays the blame for idolatry of the people at the feet of the leadership, the priests, and the elders. Zechariah eleven seventeen is a stark reminder of the failure of those God called to shepherd his people. He says, woe to my worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. Let his arm be woely withered, his right eye utterly blinded. There's a greater responsibility. There's a higher standard. Jesus reminded the Pharisees. He said the spiritual leaders of the people, he reminded them of their responsibilities and their failure to live up to those. And he said in Matthew 18, 6, and Jesus here speaking to his disciples, but clearly calling out the Pharisees, he says, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. There is a greater responsibility, a higher standard. In the book of James, we read James chapter 3, verse 1, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Clearly, there is a higher standard for those who are called to serve the people of God in leadership capacity, in the role of pastor or elder or deacon. But that doesn't mean that any of us who might not find ourselves maybe in a church leadership position are exempt from embodying those, those texts, those character traits that we read in our text today. Elders and deacons, ministry leaders, pastors, are just like everyone else, but more so. You, know, you can't say, well, it says elders can't get drunk. Well, I'm not an elder, so <laughs> leave the bottle and just keep it flowing, right? No, elders and deacons are just like everyone else, but more so. Now, of course, there's going to be specific requirements and qualifications for the office of elder and deacon that might not apply to you. But as a child of God, bought and paid for by his precious blood, the blood of Jesus, a, a new creation in Christ filled with his spirit, his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, 
for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them for his glory and for his purposes. And the text before us is a great list of qualities to meditate on, to aspire to, to pray through and work out in our daily lives as we seek to be used in whatever sphere that God has called you and I into. Now, I'm going to give you the big takeaway right here at the beginning of the sermon, the big takeaway from our study. So here it is, right here up front. Character matters. Character matters. Now, don't turn off. You know, like, okay, I got it. I'm out here. You know, turn on the game or whatever it is. There's so much more that the Lord wants to reveal to us. But I just wanted to say that right there up front. That is the big takeaway this morning, that character matters. If you're a Christian today, whether you lead others or you're just trying to walk out your own life before God, character matters. And this is going to be an overarching theme as we study our text today. And so the title of today's message is, surprise, Character Matters. So we're going to look at three points as we make our way through these 13 verses. Three points. The first is that character reflects on the person and and on God. Secondly, conscience that is clean or clear. Thirdly, confidence in the faith. Now remember this letter before us is written to Timothy by the Apostle Paul. Probably among the last letters that Paul wrote uh, from prison in Rome. And Paul would eventually be martyred by the Romans. And when we get to 2 Timothy, you're really going to get a sense that Paul realized that his time on earth was really running out. But this was not a private correspondence to Timothy but an official letter to Timothy in his capacity as the pastor, and then in turn to the churches. And Paul gives us the purpose of his letter there in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. He says, I hope to come to you, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So if you're an underliner, that's probably a good couple verses to underline because that is the key to the passage, the whole letter. That is the lens through which we look. And Paul's instructions to Timothy and to us regarding how a local church should operate and function. But I want you to notice it there at the end of verse 15 there, the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of truth. Now, I won't dive into this too much. I don't want to steal Pastor Nick's thunder for next week. But I think these verses here, 14 and 15, like I said, are an important lens through which we are to view Paul's writing here to, uh, to Timothy and what he's trying to say to us. You know, in our modern world today, truth is defined by maybe what side of the bed you woke up on in the morning or what side of the aisle you stand on or, you know, what is maybe just convenient for your situation. And Paul is telling us that the church of the living God is the foundation of truth, grounded in the truth of the Bible and the God that never changes. Now, I want to remind you again of what Pastor Nick spoke about last week because I, chapter 2 and chapter 3 are very much linked in this way. And that is, if you wrote that down, that the church is an alternative community, a colony of heaven made up of people redeemed through the birth of the child. We are all citizens of heaven and all cultures and people, men and women are all equal at the foot 
of the cross. And this letter is reaching so many different people and calling them to a God-ordained community called the church and teaching them and us how we can be authentic in our worship and effective in our ministry. The theologian John Stout commenting on 1 Timothy said, that, said this. He says, this wisdom is for the local church in every generation and every place. So as we dive into our first, uh, first point here, character that reflects, look with me there in verse, uh, verse one, we say, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And now Paul is not condoning some kind of power grab here or self-serving ambition, but rather focusing on the fact that serving God's people is a noble task. Desiring to serve God by serving his people is a noble calling. We can't forget that Jesus said, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. For those who desire to be pastors and elders and leaders in God's community, the Bible lays out, I think, three general principles for aspiring to those offices. The first being God's calling on your life. God's calling in your life. Secondly, your recognition and obedience to that calling. And thirdly, the confirmation of those around you that maybe have authority in your life, that can speak into your life to see that calling and confirm that you are qualified to step into that role. Paul says, this is a noble, a noble task, meaning this is work. It's a task. It's hard work. I tell people all the time that being in the ministry is different in the sense that that you, you, you don't leave the ministry at the office. It involves the people of God and ministering to them, and that doesn't end at 5 p.m. on a Friday afternoon. But on top of that, there are so many of our elders and ministry leaders at this church. They work those full-time jobs, and then they come here and they serve this church. They're truly heroes of the faith in my book, and we are so grateful for every single one of them that, that come here and serve this church. It's a noble Noble tasks, commendable work. Some of your translations say a fine work or a good work. So we continue in our first point. It says character that reflects. We see character reflected, I think, in four ways as we look through the text here. Four ways, at least four ways that I could find. The first being personal character. Secondly, character in the home. Thirdly, Mature character, maturity in your character, and the fourthly, reflecting godly character in the world. And we're not going to dwell on each and every one of these character traits here in these verses. We just don't have time for that. But what I do want to do is I want to show you something that relates to our title, Character Matters. And let me list for you the personal characteristics given here in these verses. They'll probably be up on the screen. You can look at them in your Bible. And you see that there's above reproach, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, not a drunkard or given too much wine, not violent, gentle, well thought of, not quarrelsome or slanderers or double-tongued, not a lover of money or greedy for dishonest gain, dignified, faithful in all things. Now that's quite a list. I think about, there are about 15 or 16 character traits here, depending on how you want to, you know, some of them might be combined together. Now let's, let's list the skills required for an elder or a deacon 
given to us in the text. I think the first one is right there at the end of chapter two. It says, they're able to teach. Well, that's one. Then maybe in verse five, it says someone who's able to manage his own household. Though I'm not convinced this is necessarily related to having managerial skills like running a business as much as it's related to exemplifying those 15, 16 quality traits as we listed in our example. Like, are they above reproach? Are they sober-minded in their home? Do they lead their home respectably with hospitably? They're not a drunkard. They're not violent. They're gentle. They're well thought of, not quarrelsome, faithful in all things. I can't find any other skills in the text. Maybe you can. I only find that, like, let's say one and a half, if you want to say. Now, it's quite conspicuous then, right, that leadership in the church is not as much about what you do in the church as much as it is about who you are, the type of person that you are. It's not about what you do in the church. It's about uh, who you are as a person. Character matters. You know, in the years I've served as a worship pastor, God has taught me many times the hard way. I've learned a lot of things the hard way. Maybe you, some others in this room can agree with me. That, the, you know, that people that, I've learned that the people that serve as musicians or, or desire to be on a worship team need to have character. Now, of course, talent might be that common ground that, that the conversation starts with, but it's ultimately their character and walk with the Lord that brings longevity to the relationship and ultimately effective, long-lasting, God-honoring ministry. Over the years, I've learned to talk more about our shared love for God than our love of music. And I love music. I love talking about music. I love listening to music. I love very talented people. I'm dazzled and blinded by talent just like everybody else. And I have been burned more than once by that blindness. But ultimately, God is building his church with leaders of character rather than leaders with talent. And just looking over the years at the countless stories, if you look back, of talented, charismatic musicians and pastors and leaders removed because of moral failure or the numerous accounts of spiritual abuse happening in the church today, I think it helps us see that somewhere along the line, the talent, the ability to preach, teach, has superseded the long list of character traits that is in our text today. Character matters. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about skillfulness, excellence, giftedness. The Bible exhorts me to play skillfully on my instrument. I'm encouraged to study, to show myself approved, but that's not Paul's emphasis today, so it won't be ours. And so we'll save that for another time. But many of these things listed in our text, they're self-explanatory. Now, if you need me to explain to you what it means to be a drunkard, then come up after and I'll I'll, I'll explain that to you. And, you know, you don't need to have money to be a lover of money. You know, throw that out there as well. So they're, they're pretty much self-explanatory. And, and I've meditated on these words now the past couple weeks. And, and I encourage you, if you're in leadership, to do the same. Let the Holy Spirit convict your heart. Repent. Ask forgiveness if you're lacking in any of these areas. But remember, for all of us, in this room today. Leaders are just like everyone else, but more so. And so 
I could say it should be a homework for everyone this week to meditate on these character traits. Meditate on this passage. Let God have his way in our hearts. But let's talk about a couple things this morning. There in verse 2, it says that an elder, and specifically talking about elders now, and these are the qualifications for elders at this church here at Whitefields. It needs, he needs to be a husband of one wife. And in the Greek text, this means a one-woman man. It's speaking more to the faithfulness within a marriage relationship and sexual purity within that marriage relationship than to the fact that an elder actually has to be married. So marriage is not a requirement for being an elder in a church. If it were a requirement, well, Paul would have been disqualified. And then, of course, Jesus would have been disqualified also for being spiritual leaders in the church. But it also speaks to the fact that God has called the men in the church to pastor and serve in the office of elder over the congregation. And this is confirmed by what we studied last week in chapter 2 in the roles of men and women in the church. Elders have a duty to care for the church as shepherds to edify the body of Christ through faithful teaching and to protect it from error. And then we see in verse 4 that the character of an elder begins in the home. We read there in verses 4 and 5, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his household, how will he care for God's church? Now, Paul seems, of course, there to ask a rhetorical question, right? If you can't lead, how, how we expect someone like that to lead in the church if he can't lead his own household? Now, I've, I, think there's, I think there has been a lot of misapplied pressure in regards to this verse, if I can phrase it that way. You know, pastors and their families and elders and their families and leaders and their families and churches are put up on pedestals. It's just what we do, and they are watched very closely. Who, who knows what a PK is? All right, how many PKs do I have in the room? Uh, all right, over there, pastor's kids, right? They got a reputation, right? they called PKs. There's a lot of expectations placed on people in leadership positions in their families, and rightfully so, right? We've already discussed there is a higher standard, but ministry is messy. Life is messy. You make mistakes. You fail. You fight with your wife. Your kids rebel. Oh, my gosh. And that's all on display many times in front of a large church. A lot of pressure, especially on kids. But Paul's not talking about life in the ministry or leadership in church lived out in a public ministry. This is a list of qualifications for those aspiring to the office of overseer or elder. Though, of course, if there is a pastor or an elder in this church who falls into sin or no longer embodies the character traits seen in this text, there will be and should be questions about their leadership. But for those aspiring to lead... If he can't manage his own home, maybe he needs to put his energies into rectifying that situation and then seek to be served the church as an elder. Now, Paul points out the idea of maturity in character there in verse 6. He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. This is just such solid ministry wisdom. This is, God's, this is God's message to you and I. He says, he's giving you license to be patient. But Lord, I don't have all the right people. And God's like, be patient. So important, you know, in our microwave, high-speed society. This, this is so countercultural. The world says, you can have it now. Act now, right? God says, be patient. This verse is such a guard against the being dazzled and blinded by talent and giftedness like, like we discussed earlier. 
Now, I love, I, this is one of my true joys. I love being around people who have just gotten saved. It renews my faith. It renews my faith. I love hearing their testimonies and witnessing their exuberance for the things of God. But it's a temptation, and we have to be careful to just get them involved, giving them you know, too much face time with the church and pushing them uh, beyond where they should be because their maturity is still lacking. And it's not only bad for the church, but for the, for the believer as well. As it says, they could end up sinning in the same way that Satan did. They could, thinking too highly of themselves, puffed up with pride. Patience is key. Discipleship, mentorship, taking in the word. Now, of course, there's wisdom in knowing how long that process should be before someone is allowed into leadership. I remember talking to a friend who got saved during the Jesus movement in the late 60s. You know, the movement that birthed the church family that we are part of. And I hope you got all your tickets to the Jesus Revolution movie that's coming out. Small there, shameless plug. But a thousand people were being baptized every month in the ocean during those times. It was amazing. And he joked with me that he was considered one of the super mature Christians because he had been saved a whole month. (laughs) A whole month, you know. He was leading small groups, reading the Bible and teaching the Bible. He's in his 70s now, and he's been faithfully serving the Lord for 50 years. But here at Whitefields, we encourage anyone who is new to this church, maybe you're new to this church today, to just sit and worship with us for at least three months. And we do this for two reasons. So you get to, we get to know you, and you get to know us, because we believe God has given us a mission and a vision for this church. And it takes time for you to catch on to what that is so you can find your place in this church community and, and, and effectively use the gifts that God has given you for his glory and for his purposes. In verse seven, we see how important it is to reflect godly character in the world. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Paul reminds us that the world is watching now, we've already looked at the negative result, right, of this in regards to popular pastors and ministry leaders who, who have a very public ministries and then very public moral failures. Their sin not only affects their local congregation, but, but it affects the whole church, the whole body of Christ and brings shame and disgrace on the name of God. We, and we too have here at this church, we have a public presence in the community. When people think of white fields, do they think of those 15 and 16 you know, characteristics we look at or do they think of something else, something opposite? A long time ago, I was at a, a car wash in California with a friend and he was a Christian guy, but he had a real problem with his temper. And uh, something happened when we went to pay and he just started screaming and yelling at the cashier and making this massive scene. And he had a Christian t-shirt on. <laughs> and I'm like, you know. And somebody in line said to him, I guess you don't believe what's on your shirt. I'm like, ouch. You know, character matters. I once had someone tell me they don't put, they don't put Christian stickers on their car because of their aggressive way that they drive, you know. Don't have to raise your hand. So <laughs> character, character matters. We want to be thought of well by outsiders. The world is watching. The church exists to promote the amazing gospel truth that God came to save sinners, to bring life, to bring healing. All of us, all that are in this room today are called to be ambassadors to the world for the gospel of salvation. 
welcome to the team. You know, we never want people to excuse our message because of our actions. We want, don't want to disgrace ourselves, our church, and most of all, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Character matters. And I think 1 Peter 5 kind of sums up this whole section as we move on here. Sums up this whole, sums up the whole goal of what Paul was writing here. And he says, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, he says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I love that. Let's move on to our second point, conscience that is clean or clear. If we're striving in the spirit of God to have character that reflects well in ourselves and on God, attempting to walk humbly with God, then we will have a clear conscience. And as we transition to the qualifications for deacons, we read there in verse 9 that we, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Now, both for deacons and for elders... As we walk out our faith before God and man, not trapped by moral failure or compromise, walking in the light, not clouded by much wine, but filled with the Spirit of God, experiencing that transformative power of the gospel in our lives and the lives of others, pressing into the things, daily things of God. There's so much freedom in that, that we have a clear conscience before God and man, unashamed to share with the world the gospel of salvation. There's a lot of overlap in the qualifications here if you read this for, for elders and deacons, but the text seems to make a distinction between elders and deacons and that elders must be able to teach. But verse 9 makes it clear that deacons at a minimum need to have a solid doctrinal foundation. They need to know the word of God. Paul is most likely writing this in direct contrast to the false teachers we, we studied there back in chapter 1 who shipwrecked their faith if you remember that, by disregarding proper doctrine. Timothy's exhorted there in, in, to contend for the faith in 1 Timothy 1, in verse 18, he says, This I charge, Paul writing to him, I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Now back here in chapter 3, verse 10, we read there in verse 10, and let them also be tested first. Let them serve as deacons as if they, and if they prove themselves blameless. Now this is very similar to the exhortation you know, given to those aspiring to be elders or overseers in the church, that they, that they be not recent converts. A time of testing would reveal true motives, right? Gifting, character. You know, many churches that maybe you've been a part of, I know that I've been a part of, this means, you know, interns, young pastors, um, you know, they're out cleaning bathrooms, picking up trash, running errands, doing whatever needs to be done around the church. And one of the de definitions for deacon, diakonos, the Greek word, literally means errand runner or messenger. The definition most, though, that we see in the Bible is, 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 is servant. It's translated servant. Diakonos is translated servant. A leader in God's kingdom and God's household is ultimately a lead servant. 
We all want to be considered servants of God, right? Until somebody treats us like a servant. And we sometimes just need to check our motivations. Why, why am I serving? What is my purpose? I love this Psalm. Psalm 24 says in verse three, it says, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, uh, does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Lord, give me clean hands and a pure heart as I seek to faithfully serve your people. Now, verse 11 introduces a bit of a debate into our conversation here this morning. It says there, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Now, some of your translations say their wives. Some of your translations just say women. Likewise, women must be dignified. Now, it's, it's the same word, gune, which can mean wife or woman, but in the Greek text, that word there is not there. Their wives, there is not there. It's wives or women or women. And so that has led to a few interpretations. What does that mean? Now, there are three schools of thought, and you can probably see this represented in all the various church traditions in our world today, and this is how. The first is, is that it's talking about deacons' wives. Some of your translations might even say that. Likewise, their wives, referring to the wives of the deacons. Well, the main pushback to that idea is that Paul does not give any qualifications for the elders' wives. Elders hold a more prominent position in the church, and yet Paul places no demands on their wives. Historically, this is the most accepted position. The second position is that he's talking about a third group, a third group of people besides elders and deacons, and those, that's the office of deaconess. Though this is not necessarily that widely accepted, you will find some church traditions that, that have an office of deaconess as well. The third interpretation is that Paul is addressing women. You feel like you're at Bible college right now? The third, the third interpretation is that Paul is addressing women, specifically including them within the office of deacon. That word likewise is key in understanding these interpretations. And many point to the fact that Paul refers to Phoebe in Romans chapter 16, verse 1, with the same word here used in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. And that word can mean deacon or it can mean servant. It all depends on, on your context. So some of your translations might say Phoebe was called a servant in Romans 16 and some that Paul referred to her as a deacon. So what, but what is really clear is that Paul had a high respect for Phoebe, esteemed her highly, had high regard for her role in the Roman church. Now there are some crazy smart theologians on all sides of this debate and I'm certainly not going to solve the dilemma for you today. But here at Whitefields, we don't even have official office of deacon so we have what we call ministry leaders. And these ministry leaders are all held to the high standards laid out in our text today. And like Pastor Nick said last week, we have a very much, we very much value and esteem women here at Whitefields. We have women involved as ministry leaders 
leading and teaching throughout the church. And we're so blessed and honored to have them as part of our, our team here at the church. We also value and esteem the word of God, as you very well know. And we want to be clear when the Bible is clear and when where the Bible is not clear, we want to be flexible. So for those who serve as ministry leaders and elders, the world might be watching, but God is watching as well. And as we move on to verse 13, this is our third and final point. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Confidence in the faith. So much of what happens in ministry in this church is not seen by anyone. Much of, much of what you hear experience on a Sunday morning only comes from this stage. We're the only people that you might see. But there are so many people behind the scenes throughout the week, week after week, month after month, year after year. You don't know their names, but they are the backbone of the ministry of Whitefields Church. And we wouldn't be a church without them. And we are extremely grateful for each and every one of them. These valuable members of our church have a good standing with the one, though, who matters. And that is God himself. You can have confidence in the faith that your efforts have eternal value and reward in Jesus. And that confidence is rooted in, in your faith in Jesus, not for your own personal gain, but for his glory and purposes. And we are so grateful, so grateful for all those who serve at this church in every single capacity as we gather together for the purposes of God and say, Lord, use us, use this church, use each one of us good character with a clear conscience rooted in the finished work of Christ gives us confidence that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion in Christ Jesus. You have been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Make sure to tap the subscribe button if you would like to have new messages delivered to your device every week when they are released. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support our ministry, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or by giving a donation to our church on our website at whitefieldschurch.com.